Hi, I'm Chris Kinney. And I'm Jeff Moore. And you're in the Music Business Lounge, your source for the insight you need from the industry's best and brightest. We've got some great stuff for you today, so let's hop right in. Our guest today is Dan Schur. Dan is an SEO and digital marketing expert who's been helping companies conquer SEO problems since 2007. And as a multi-time business owner himself, his approach to SEO never forgets that it's about more than just links and rankings. It's about marketing goals and the bottom line. On top of all of that, Dan is also a musician. So, of course, we had to have him on. Uh, And he hosts his own great SEO and digital marketing podcast called Experts on the Wire. And he's from New England, just like me and Chris, which is awesome. But welcome, Dan. Thank you for for being on with us. Jeff, thanks for having me. That intro was dead on perfect. That was was great. (laughs) I, I don't have to suggest anything new to add to that. (laughs) <laughs> so I take pride in my intros. I take pride in my intros. So that means a lot to me. Thank you. I was actually, I was just listening to your podcast with Jared Falk uh, from Drumeo yes. about building a YouTube community. And there is such, such great info on there. I would definitely recommend checking out Experts on the Wire. You know, it's funny. We actually first got in touch with Dan by typing into Google SEO for musicians and Dan's article on Moz is the number one link that comes up. So clearly so he's doing something right there. Naturally, we had to hunt him down. But uh, <laughs> that's an awesome article too that you guys should should check out. But Dan, we'd love to hear a little bit uh, about your background. Uh, like I mentioned, you're a musician yourself, but share with us a little bit of your story. Thanks, guys, for a great intro and for plugging the show. Uh, I'll give my background with a couple quick anecdotes. So I first knew that I loved music. When I was, I think, two or three years old, maybe four, and I was hanging out with my mom in Arlington, Massachusetts, and a parade was going by. It's ironic. It's uh, it's uh, St. Patty's Day with parades today. But I got <laughs> yeah. so freaked out, and I wanted to get away from the noisy fire engines and all that stuff in the crowds. My mom ducked into a random store, which happened to be a music store, and I guess – I just went right to the pianos and just started banging on the keys. And I guess I stopped crying. I was like having the time of my life. And that's when my mom saw the interest in music. And I have to credit her. She always really encouraged me and supported me with my interest in music. And so I've got to give her credit. But that's when I remember first loving music. Uh, In addition to hearing all the old records she used to play in the house from Stevie Wonder to Led Zeppelin and all the greats, Keith Jarrett. But Fast That's forward awesome. up into till high school, you know, I went through all the piano lessons and uh, played in marching band and all that stuff. But I remember as clear as day, I was walking through the halls of Burlington High School in Burlington, Mass, and I saw a poster on the wall for Berklee College of Music. And up until that point, I thought music was just this thing that you did for fun. I didn't realize you could actually go to college and go to school for music. And I didn't end up going to Berkeley, but I did end up going to University of New Hampshire uh, when I realized you could go to school for like I didn't have to study math or like science or English. I had to do some of those like <laughs> gen ed classes. I failed a few of them, but that's when I realized you could actually like do music as like your thing. I didn't have to be an accountant. I could be a pianist. So went to school for music, loved it. Uh, spent a lot of my you know twenties gigging and teaching piano lessons and doing the whole musician thing. 
then in my late 20s, by that time I was married and, you know, starting to settle down and try to get, quote, a real job. No offense to musicians out there, but, you know, get a job that my wife considers a real job, right? <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Uh, a job that's, you know, nine to five, not five to, you know, 2 a.m. <laughs> And so the same light bulb moment happened for me with SEO. I was listening to a podcast called SEO 101. It's still on the air today. And they, I realized that these guys were talking about SEO as their job. I, I didn't realize up until that point that SEO was a separate field of study because I was always making websites and installing analytics and trying to figure out the traffic and how to get promotion and exposure. And I had done SEO as a part of those things, but never realizing SEO was a, a career as well. So similar light bulb moment when I realized SEO could be a career, that's when I decided to make that pivot. And that was around 2007, that 10 year mark that I said, okay, I want to make SEO a full-time gig. And gradually over the next five or six years, I phased out teaching piano. I was you know, no offense again to little kids, but I was sick of teaching little kids piano lessons. I've been doing it like 10 years at that point. And, you know, I didn't want to teach another kid middle C or black notes versus white. Like, I just didn't want to do that anymore. So fast forward five or six years. And by that time, I had phased out teaching piano. I had phased out gigging. I think I played my last actual gig two and a half years ago, which I really do miss a lot. But that's a whole other story. But now I'm doing SEO full time. So you know, it, it, I think for a lot of people, and we'll get into this a little bit, there is a natural sort of uh, parallel to things that uh, make up music and, and the qualities and skills that music requires and SEO. I think there's a lot of similarities, but that's been kind of the journey in a nutshell. That is, cool. that is not only an incredible journey, but also – like, I sort of feel like we can very safely know that we're in safe hands here. Like, this this man, Dan, is a legit musician. Like, I knew that Dan was a musician, but knowing that story, like, Dan Dan has been through what many of us have been through here. So I the definitely... Teaching, uh, the gigging, the yeah. trying to pull in from all these different revenue streams and make something out of it. It's it's a track. definitely... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one more little anecdote. I know your listeners will love, but there's a business lesson Absolutely. at the end of it. So I think uh, I think it'll bring some value as well. It was Absolutely. about 2003 or four. I was living in a house in New Hampshire. We were paying $900 a month in rent total for the entire house. And w one of my roommates was the drummer in a few bands that I was playing in at the time. We had a gig in Burlington, Vermont that night. And there was a blizzard outside. So we left Seacoast, New Hampshire, maybe at three in the afternoon or something and made the five and a half hour drive in his old Honda Civic in a blizzard up to Burlington, Vermont. We arrive at the gig, which is at a little, I think the club was called like the Red Door or something. It's it's on the main road there in Burlington. I forget the name of the, the place. Okay. That doesn't matter. Red Square, maybe it was called. Mm -hmm. And Sounds familiar. we're unloading our instruments and we realized that my friend Mike, the drummer, forgot his cymbals. And we're like, what do we do? So we're walking through the streets of Burlington in a blizzard, knocking on doors of all the other clubs like the Metronome or I forget the names, and asking if there were extra cymbals. So like that – I mean that's not the end of the story. So we, so we played the entire first set with no cymbals on the drums and actually like it actually worked out pretty well because the drummer kind of overplayed and so like it kind of restrained him a little bit. But <laughs> – 
we we got through the night and I actually I played my heart out that night and in fact across the room from me is my Nord Electro that I played on that night it, I have it still I'm here a Nord man too yep and uh, I played my heart out because I was like we just drove five hours we forgot the similar like I really wanted to make it a nice night musically and give mm. it my all we're packing up the gig's over we're packing up this guy walks up to me and I think he's just like a homeless drunk person like he just kind of stumbles up to me <laughs> He's, he's kind of like semi like he's got, you know, if you've been drinking like a bunch of beers, your lips look kind of wet. Like it's probably a little bit too much information, but he walks <laughs> up and he goes, he's like, nice job. I liked your playing. It was really good. And he pulls a business card out of his pocket and he hands it to me and he goes, I wrote the review for that Nord Electro. And I look down and it says keyboard magazine on his business card. Up in Burlington, Vermont, in a blizzard. He's like one of the main writers for Keyboard Magazine. So I was like, oh my God, okay. So the the business lesson there is you never know who's watching you in business or in music or in consulting or with your marketing. Like you never know if that next person that's going to stumble upon your stuff is going to be the person that can give you a good break. Absolutely. The mistake I made. That's not all. The mistake I made is I didn't follow up with him, which is a uh, huge mistake. I, you know, I went home. I probably lost the business card or something. So yeah. that's the other lesson. You have to follow up with connections like that. It could have been mm. a great connection. But, but I think that story, like I wanted to dig a little deeper because everybody should now be able to relate to some sort of musician story like that. I mean, it, it's really representative of how like musicians – the cool thing I love about musicians is we really bend over backwards and work – very hard to try to make something happen because definitely you you have to like put in so much effort to get your music and your craft and your art out there and i hope what we're going to cover in the rest of the interview will help inspire musicians to take that passion and put a little bit of it into their online marketing and seo it's such an important thing you know seo for musicians and so many people like i can't even think about you know, Chris and I have have both been in a, a, a number of bands and worked with countless musicians. Um, and I don't think I can think of a single musician who has been like has brought up SEO to me. Like, let's let's make sure we get on top of S- SEO. So I really think it's something that people overlook, that people aren't thinking enough about. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Dan, about why SEO is something important that musicians should be thinking about. I think it's interesting. SEO for musicians is backwards compared to the rest of the world and how they relate to SEO. So let me paint the opposite picture. If you have an online e-commerce store and you're selling tea, you are hoping that people are going to Google and they're typing tea for sale or black tea for sale or organic green tea for sale. You're hoping people discover you through the search engine as the discovery channel. With music, however, and musicians, unless we're talking about like a music business, like teaching and stuff, and we can get into that, but I'm talking about like a performing musician. No one's going to Google and typing hipster band and trying (laughs) to discover their next favorite new band, right? Like I'm not going to Google going like best new trap artist. It just, that's not how I'm finding my favorite musician. So I think what musicians have to realize is it's a little bit backwards. Like people are using the search engine to follow up with somebody they've discovered to continue the relationship with someone they've discovered, whether it's looking for deeper tracks, looking for concert dates, looking for your website, looking for your email list. And so 
as a musician, you're actually creating the search demand. You're actually creating the keywords that people mm. are searching for. When you come up with a band name, then that's what people are going to search. So this happens. I mean, if you look at the search volume for like a really popular artist like Drake or Talib Kweli, even like there's thousands and thousands and thousands of searches a month for these artists. So that's the first thing I want to convey is, convey is that paradigm shift. We're not talking about like let's rank in Google for best country act. That's just not the way it's going to work for a musician. Uh, but <laughs> off of that, we can start to talk about and you can start to think about tactical ways that you as a musician can leverage that knowledge to maybe get discovery. And, you know, putting this into like the bigger picture, the big grand scheme of things, like, do I think SEO is the top most important marketing channel for musicians? Probably not. Like if I'm being honest, mm. it's social media, it's networking, mm. maybe a little yeah. bit of content creation. Like really music is all about like my band was on MySpace during during MySpace's day. Like that was our Facebook. That was our Instagram. Yeah. And we had yeah. a lot of luck with that. We had a lot of success with that. And so, you know, if I'm being honest, like musicians, as you know, you really need to be out there and be on social media, be in YouTube and be in SoundCloud. And like that's number one, getting your, your art and your content out there. Now, with that said, there's a lot of ways you can leverage SEO if you're smart. And number one is – you need to follow up on what your search results look like for your band name, your band members' names, like the actual people in your band, mm -hmm. maybe the names of your songs if you're getting popular enough, and what we call in the SEO space long tail keywords, meaning, you know, the example of my Moz post that you mentioned, Music SEO. Uh, people are not only going to, to Google and typing in Lumineers, they're typing in Lumineers email list, Lumineers tour mm -hmm. dates. And what you can do is go to Google right now, like if you're in a band or you're a performance artist, go to Google and start typing that name and look at the suggestions that come up and search every single one of those and see what returns. And if you're not in control over the results showing up there, you need to take control of that. So meaning if people are searching your brand name plus email list and you don't have an email list page on your website, you need to go create one. That way you're uh. capturing that demand that people are looking for. If people are typing your band name and the name of one of your songs and you don't have a YouTube video that's ranking number one for that or number two for that, if you don't have a page on your website that shows up when people are looking for your song, you need to go out there and create that. So we can get a lot more tangible things, but that's like some first SEO 101 tips I would give for musicians. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, capitalizing on those branded keywords that, and, and that whole that whole idea of sort of working backwards with, you know, different from something like e-commerce, like you want to make sure you capitalize when people hear about you or see you at a show or hear about you from a friend or on social media, sort of that that opposite, different from the traditional SEO. And I think uh, that's such such a good point, Dan, that uh, so many people don't recognize or think about. Uh, ab absolutely. Yeah. One thing I'll add to the just the band name or the brand searches, like you mentioned, is it's not about just having a website. You can go to a site called noam.com and I'll give you all the links. You can put them in show notes if you use them. But noam.com is where you can search your band name or your name or whatever your social media name is and see if you've claimed all of the profiles that are out there. SoundCloud, uh, Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. Uh, YouTube, like everything. That's so super helpful. Even, yeah. Yeah. Even, even if you're not publishing everywhere all the time, claim all your profiles because what you want the 
search result page to look like for people searching your band name is you want that whole page to be about you. And I understand like there's some people that have similar names and there's some like vagueness Mm -hmm. potentially. But if you have especially a super unique band name like Sylvanesso, right? Like they're the only band name or anything that I can think of that has Sylvanesso as like a name. Like they should be controlling all like that Google result for their band search. Uh, you know, with a website, with a YouTube page, with a SoundCloud page, maybe they have an article or two out there that ranks for that. So that's another thing to make sure you're doing is go to knowem.com and make sure you've at least claimed all your potential social media profiles. That's such good stuff. And we'll definitely be listing knowem.com in the description, guys. Such great tips. I'd love to hear uh, even more tactics that we can sort of use to leverage SEO in our marketing efforts. So here's here's a here's a little bit of a tactic, and and I have to say, not having been a professional musician promoting my own stuff for a long time, I don't have firsthand experience with this, but I've seen a lot of people leverage this. And here's the tactic. So I mentioned that a lot of people are going to you go into Google and they're typing Drake, but then they're adding things onto that. Like I'm going to go to Google right now, actually, and I'm going to type. Drake and let's see what shows up here. And this will give me some ideas. So Drake net worth, Drake age, Drake more life track list, Drake songs, mm-hmm. Drake close. That's uh, and a big one is playlist, um, Drake playlist, YouTube. So pretend that you're trying to market a little bit for Drake. Like you're trying to capture some of Drake's long tail traffic. So if you're a hip, 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 uh, hip, hip, if you're a hip hop artist, <laughs> Go and people are searching for Drake playlist and I'm going to hit enter on that. Let's see what's showing up. So this is a pretty crowded result because he's he's very popular, obviously, but maybe find somebody slightly less popular than him that a lot of people haven't done this with. Create a playlist for that artist that's similar to the stuff that you're doing. Post it on your website or create it with your YouTube account or create it with your SoundCloud if that's allowed because of copyright things. But capture some of the other demand that people are creating when they're searching for these more popular artists. Mm. You know, if you're a fan of, I'm looking at related people here, Chris Brown or Rihanna or Kanye West or any of these other people that are similar, like create results that could rank for the long tail off of their stuff. And here's where covers come into play because now we can start to talk about creating cover music, not only that will rank in Google, but for YouTube. So I want to talk about YouTube for a second. YouTube is the world's second biggest search engine. A lot of people don't know that. But and it's funny because Google owns YouTube. So Google really has <laughs> got the monopoly, monopoly on everything. But I, uh, I recently learned that while listening to your podcast. Oh, that's right. There you go. Yeah, I had a guy on Roberto Blake. So if anybody's really interested in a very deep dive into YouTube SEO and YouTube promotion, listen to the episode with Roberto Blake. The guy's amazing. He knows his stuff when it comes to YouTube. But mm-hmm. – Knowing the fact that YouTube is not only the biggest, second biggest search engine, but a huge discovery channel. Like, did you know most of the discovery of videos in YouTube happens when they show up in related videos on the right-hand side? It's not actually search. It's actually showing related videos on the right-hand side. That's where most new video plays come from in YouTube. So this is where covers come into play. I have a random YouTube channel, um, Dan Shore Music, that like – Twice a year or something, I'll post a cover on there. Occasionally, I'll do some like original stuff, and I'm just doing it for fun. I'm doing it to get you know my creative energy out because I'm not gigging anymore, and yeah. I still love music. It's something I you know I play piano almost every day at home. 
so I'll give you an example. I randomly posted uh, a cover of Jungle by Drake. I posted it almost two years ago with All doing right. nothing, no promotion, nothing. And I only have 500 subscribers. I have almost yeah. 23,000 views on wow. that one video. Nice. Because yeah, so I'm finding a song that not many people have covered on piano. I'm, I'm trying to do the best job that I can and give it the best performance that I can. I'm mm. optimizing the title. I'm, in the title, it says Jungle by Drake hyphen piano cover because people are going to YouTube and they're searching Drake piano cover or Jungle piano cover. And I'm, po- you know, I'm posting it with decent sound quality and I'm trying to make it the best performance I can. And just by the fact that of YouTube's internal discovery, you can get a lot of exposure that way. So for all the listeners out there, hopefully you're, you have a YouTube channel for yourself. If you don't, immediately go set that up right away. But you need to consider if you if you want it to – I know a lot of people are like they have a little bit of pride about it. They don't want to post cover. They want to do only my art, only my original stuff. And like I get that. You know, We're musicians. We can be a little temperamental sometimes. But <laughs> you really want to think about – posting covers because of the exposure you can get. So what I would recommend is find an artist that you love, obviously, that's similar to some of the music that I create that might have a similar fan base. Find a song by them that you like, but when you search it in YouTube, there's not a lot of covers already or there's not a lot of great covers. So like, I'm sure you can relate, like you're looking for a cover by one of your favorite artists, you go to YouTube and you search it and you're thinking like, oh my God, all these performances suck. Like none of these people (laughs) covered this song the way I want to hear it covered. So go ahead and create that because chances are other people out there are craving that similar performance that just doesn't exist yet. So find a popular song that hasn't been covered or hasn't been covered very well by a very popular artist, create a cover and post it in YouTube. And just by doing that, you're giving yourself a huge leg up in being in being discovered in the YouTube platform. That's such a good thought. And then from there, right, you can push them to everywhere else you want them to be and funnel them down to all of your other uh, all of your other places where you're active on, on online, uh, which is great. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you can take advantage of so many of YouTube's uh, engagement and and linking features in there. You can add links into the video now. You can obviously put things in descriptions. One little sort of, uh, uh, not secret, but I'll call it a secret because it sounds cool, uh, that (laughs) Roberto talked about is creating playlists in YouTube. So YouTube Mm -hmm. ranks channels based upon watch time, just total raw watch time. So if you have a YouTube channel that has accumulated hundreds or thousands or, you know, six digits of minutes of watch time, like your channel is more authoritative in the eyes of YouTube. And they're going to, they're mm. going to surface you more in the related videos or in YouTube searches, you're going to rank higher. So by creating playlists, when somebody finishes your amazing cover video that you pay, that you posted based upon my recommendation, then the playlist is automatically going to take them to the next video. And that's going to keep people in your channel longer. And here's the thing. It doesn't actually, from what Roberto said, it doesn't actually have to be a video in your channel. So your channel can be the gateway into YouTube. But then if you keep people in YouTube's platform, that's what YouTube likes, even if it's not your video all of the time. So create a playlist with your video in it as the first one that keeps people in YouTube uh, for a longer period of time. And that's a great way to get some authority in YouTube. That makes a lot of sense because for the longest time, the the whole related video 
algorithm and magic behind the scenes made made no sense to me and this kind of puts a method to the madness that even with a playlist as you said <laughs> you're this filter that brings more traffic to youtube so obviously they want to prioritize you even if it's not just your own videos you're that gateway so yes that's great let's go let's go a little deeper in the related video thing so one thing i've noticed is that so let's say there's an existing cover video of summary somebody covering a song by drake and the thumbnail of that video is like an overhead shot of the piano with like hands on it. It's black and white. It's It's got the keys, the piano keys. Mm. I've noticed that Google and YouTube are very good at figuring out what that object is in that video. So, for, for example, Google has the technology to know when a picture is of a cat or a cat on sitting on a couch. Like they can tell that through machine learning and through mm. artificial intelligence. So – you're more likely to show up as a related video if your thumbnail and the video itself visually match existing videos of that similar topic. Wow. That's wild. I've seen that happen so many – like I'll post a piano video and just because there happens to be like sunlight in the background with a certain color, like other random videos will pop up that have no similarity to that topic but just because there's like a similar shade of color in that spot. And eventually that gets sorted out as Google figures out they may have – re you know mismatched that but it can work in the opposite direction where they realize that your video is similar in content by the visual and also by the music so i i suspect that google may be you know because they can they can pick up when music's copyrighted right so mm -hmm. i think they're probably listening to the audio itself and potentially using maybe machine learning to figure out like what key is this song in what tempo is the song? What instruments are present? So I feel like there might crazy. be, yeah. And that, that's me speculating a little bit. I have no proof for that, but it's, you know, sure, yeah. my years of experience, I've seen these sorts of things that to me jump out. That could be, that's what's going on there. That's such good, good stuff. But one thing uh, that really in interested me from your article was this idea of, um, on, on Google knowledge graphs. Yeah. And I didn't know too, too much about this. Uh, and I loved reading about it in your article. Could you touch a, a little bit on those for us? Absolutely. So to give a real overview, so the knowledge graph, some of these words are used in interchangeably, but I'll, I'll paint a vivid picture. So people probably know in the last two, three years, when you go to Google and you search, you're not just getting 10 blue links anymore. You're getting a lot of extra stuff in the search results. So Musicians and bands are great examples. So if you go and you search Dave Matthews Band in Google, and in fact, I'll do that right now as well while we're sitting here talking, all the other stuff is is Google figuring out what's called entities, and they're building these relationships, relationships of real-world things like bands, and then there's people in the bands, and then there's other things like places, locations, businesses, recipes, uh, all this real-world stuff. And one of the most noticeable effects of the knowledge graph is on the right-hand side when I search Dave Matthews Band, there's a, literally a box called the knowledge box where it has some images, it has the, the DMB logo, it's got their website, it's got links to social profiles, it's got stuff from Wikipedia, it's got events, it's got songs, it's got social profiles, it's got albums. It's, theirs is really long because there's obviously been around a long time. But you can actually do some things to take control of what shows up in your knowledge box if it is showing up. So let's first talk about how to try to get the knowledge box to show up at all. A little bit of this is based upon your popularity and how confident Google is that what the person's typed is what they're looking for is like very confident. So I mentioned earlier the band name Sylvan Esso. 
that's super specific. Like nobody else is going around with that band name. But I'm trying to think of another example of something that might be a little ambiguous. Uh, I can't think of a musician name, but like Apple, for example, you could be looking for the fruit or you could be looking for the company. So there's a little bit of ambiguity there and Google tries to figure that out. But the more specific your band name is, the more popular you are and the more confident Google is in knowing that the user is looking for your band or or you as a performance artist, that's when they're going to return the knowledge graph box. But you can go to Google Plus and even though Google Plus is kind of like a dormant, not really used social media network anymore – you can still create yourself a, a brand profile page in Google+. So I'll give you the link. You can put the show notes. But you essentially want to create yourself a brand page for your band. So it's like having a Facebook page or a Twitter account or you know any of these other profile accounts. But it's for Google. And that's one thing that's going to potentially help get you to show up in your knowledge box on the right-hand side. There's other things you can do as well that I think you're hinting at that I mentioned in the article – So there's some code, and I'll give it to you. It's in the article as well. But you can tell Google what you want your logo to be. So when people are searching your band name or you or your name as an artist, you can tell Google what logo you want them to use. So if there's one you prefer, there's some code you add it to the website. And again, the link is in the article, and I can give it to you for the show notes. That's a way to start to take control of that. You could tell Google what you want your social profile links to be. So for Instagram, SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, Facebook, and then they're going to add those links into the knowledge box result as well. One that I always think of is train, you know, train the band, like literally like I type in train right right now to, (laughs) to, to, to Google, they have number one. So they have like their website is number one and their, their Wikipedia article is number two. Number three is Amtrak trains. So, so, so like, I feel like that is one of like, as far as like mainstream music, the train (laughs) battle is like the ultimate fight of like, and and they won, which is pretty big. Won. But um, <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely. And I also noticed that they actually don't have the knowledge graph, at least on mine. And I think this is probably like a local thing, but mine is uh, a, co- a company yeah. uh, selling toy, to- toy trains is the uh, the graph here. Yeah. Th- this this provides a good opportunity to give a little nuance to this, this one. Here. It's a great example. Thank you for bringing it up. Uh, when I search just the word train, which by the way has 1,220,000 searches oh, per man. month, which is a lot, I see Union Station, which is our train station in Worcester, mm-hmm. as my knowledge box because I'm super close to that. Mm-hmm. And then I see Train's uh, homepage, their website, then yeah. their Wikipedia page, but then I'm seeing Amtrak and commuter rail and all this stuff. So yeah. if you have a name like that that's just train, now when I type train, the auto suggest says train band. So now I go, okay, that's what users have done to compensate for that. And that has 22,000 searches a month. So what I would do instead, if you have a, a band name like that, is use the, the modifier band. Because that's probably what users have uh, habitually gotten into searching to compensate for the fact that there is amb- ambiguity. And now Google knows for sure that, so here's an interesting thing. This isn't like actionable, but sure. it's just a little interesting anecdote. Google doesn't always take things literally to mean a keyword. So for example, 
in the old days of SEO, if you were to go – and this probably is if you still go to Bing because Bing kind of sucks as a search engine. But if you go to Bing or in the old days, if you were to type train band, search engines would literally look for web pages that have that literal phrase on it, train band. They would not be able to intuit any meaning uh-huh. off of that. But what you can realize that Google is doing for the most part here, they know that as a user, I'm kind of saying in a shorthand way, show me information about train the band. Like they know band is an entity that I'm using to signal I want train the band, not like the train station. So they're not literally looking for the keyword when people are searching train band. They're they're now going to surface the entity of a band. So That's it's an really interesting thing. It's kind of a, you know, just a... Yeah, I mean, this is like what Google is is uh, is so good at is understanding the intent for the most part. I mean, they still mess it up sometimes, but uh, if you want to see the difference, like let's—I I don't know what's going to happen right now. This example might completely fail, but let's go to Bing and type oh, "train boy. band" and see what happens. Not bad. So, one one interesting thing is that Bing is ranking. Um, a Wikipedia page called train hyphen band, which is a random obscure uh, company of the militia in England (laughs) or the America in the 16th century. So that's where, that's where Bing is not understanding the intent. They, they get it right for the most part. But the other thing Google is doing differently is they're ranking train the band's Wikipedia page second. Google is doing that. Bing is ranking it at the bottom of the search result. So Bing is not doing as good of a job at understanding the intent of what's going on. They're decent because they're showing their version of the knowledge box on the right. They're showing the band's homepage at the top, but they're not nailing everything else like Google is. So anyways, that's a little bit of a tangent, but it is interesting to – and that's – that's what I want to encourage everyone to try to pick apart like what they're seeing in search results. Like don't just blindly search for things. When you see results in front of you, question like why why would Google rank this? Why does Google rank Target over Macy's or like Walmart over, you know, yeah. Shaw's or like just kind of question that like be curious. I think as musicians we're all a little bit curious to some extent, but you know, don't just blindly accept what the search engine is ranking there. Like, be a little curious and try to pick apart, like, why would maybe they rank that over that? I think it's fun. Yeah, definitely. And relating this back, exactly what, what you were saying, relating this back to what you're doing, what what, what your band is, is doing, it's such good knowledge and it's such, you can, it's applicable directly to what all of you guys are doing. So definitely, definitely take Dan's advice. Now, I do have a couple more questions for for you dan one that i always like to ask is um what are some mistakes or the biggest mistake that you see people or bands or musicians making uh in this space in seo uh and how how do we fix it my goodness there's so many mistakes happening in (laughs) seo just because it it has a tormented past right like it was it was it was very spammy for a while it still is in some degrees or depending upon who's practicing it i think uh trying to gear what i'm communicating back to musicians and bands specifically uh it goes back to a little bit what i said at the beginning is just understanding the context of where seo fits into your world so 
I have this term that I like to use called search ecosystem optimization as opposed to engine optimization because search engine is way too specific of a word to describe what we're actually dealing with. So search ecosystem optimization is the reality that we live in. Like we have the real world and then we have what I call a digital footprint. That's where things live on the web or on your Instagram account. It's like a digital mirror of the real world. So like you, you're abandoned in real life. Great. You have a website. You have a YouTube page. The search ecosystem is the search engine being the gateway between the real world and the digital world. So what I'd like to encourage anyone in a band or performing music is just to think about is like the search engine is just bridging that gap. There's still real people on the other end of the search engine. It's not just a number of like you have 200 searches a month. It's it's actual people that are trying to find you or your music or discover something that cr brings them entertainment sure. or value or that moves them. So it's still real human emotion and needs and people looking for things on the other end of that search engine. So I would just be mindful of the context of where you're placing SEO as far as how it matters to your music. And again, the big context shift for musicians is it's not somebody going to Google and typing, you know, new hip hop band. It's somebody that's like, on the path of trying to find uh, music from a band they've already discovered or or deepen their relationship with you once they've already discovered you or find more stuff about people they already know. So like Drake or like, you know, all these big acts and that ties back into what I was saying, piggybacking on the massive popularity that some of these big artists have already generated and just trying to piggyback on top of that. I mean, it's no different than like trying to be a guest MC on a, you know, it's like, I don't know if Chance the Rapper like did it, but, but you know how like these bigger artists will like bring in the new person on their new hip hop album and they'll be the guest, you know, it, it's not much different than that. It's just like trying to um, ride the success of some other people and do that in a way that brings value to the fans. I think lots of people, you just get lost in this world of, you know, the technicalities and all, all of this stuff, but really it's all based on, on people, right? Yeah, and I mean, that, that's like musicians are, and I know this firsthand, we're in a unique place to have that skill to understand what people want, right? I mean, when, like, I don't think any musician's like, I want to go, you know, be the next band that nobody listens to. Like, you want to show up to a gig and, like, keep people's attention. Like, we should be developing that skill anyways as musicians. Like, how do we, how do we capture and hold and continue to hold somebody's attention? And so that's what you want to put into you, your YouTube videos or the content that you create online and... One last thing I'll say is I see a lot of um, – there's a lot of uh, new up-and-coming musicians sometimes, whether they're producers or singers or artists or, or band members that, that think it's cool to like not ever reply to anybody's comments, to like ignore fans, to like think that there's some – that they're up mm -hmm. on a pedestal and their fans are you know just yeah. that, that, that for some reason it's, it's cool to not reply to people. I actually disagree. Like, I think that if you're an upcoming musician, you should be grateful for like every single person that watches your video and comments. And you should show that gratitude by replying to them or like at least hearting their comment or, or liking it or giving it a thumbs up or like doing something to show that, that you're appreciative of them paying attention to you because like attention is super scarce and divided right now, especially on the web with so many options out there. So that's my approach to it. Like I get that some people are maybe introverts, so maybe yeah. they're not trying to be cool. Maybe it's just kind of how they are. They like to do their thing and not be out there. But I think there's some value to even taking the time a few minutes to like reply to some people that comment or tweet at you or leave you a Facebook message. 
I think that can go a really long way in in a serendipitous way and almost like a karma kind of way to help, you know, get people uh, excited about your music and, and, and get them sharing it with their friends and, and other fans as well. Absolutely. And I think, Chris, you'd agree with me, too. Um, that seems to be a recurring theme with everyone that we talked to. We had Taylor Swift's former manager, Rick Barker, a great guy on the other week. Uh, he told her, uh, if you want to sell 500,000 albums, you have to meet and engage with 500,000 people. And that's what she did. So it's really, um, really wise words uh, that I think uh, seems to be a recurring theme with everyone that we talk to is, you know, engage and don't put yourself up on that, that pedestal as, as much. It drives me insane when I see so like banned social media, like their Instagram or their, their Twitter accounts where they try to keep this hip follower ratio of, you know, we follow only our band members, but we have thousand followers. It just drives me nuts. It's like, that's not your community. That's not engaging. That just looks like you, like, like, Dan, you were saying, like, this pedestal, it's this barrier. Follow them back. Say what's up. Give them the time of day. Such wise words. And let me say this. One more question for you, Dan. So for our listeners, what, in your opinion, is one actionable thought or one actionable thing that they can do to start improving their SEO tomorrow? Yeah, it's a tip I sort of already gave, but I'll give it again. So go to YouTube. Start typing in one of your favorite artists, musicians, singers, the name of their song and the word cover that you're willing to cover. Maybe a song you've been wanting to learn but haven't gotten around to it yet. Find that opportunity where there's not a cover existing yet or the ones that do exist really kind of suck in your opinion. And create that cover and post it on YouTube and put you know the name of the artist and the song in your title. Make it the highest quality possible you can. And, uh, you know, that's like the one action I think that, you know, really uh, is the highest sort of priority and, and the best, best first place I think people should begin. Absolutely. Such good tips. Dan, uh, I'm not trying to rhyme here because you probably hear this a lot, but Dan, you're the man. Um, <laughs> tell us where people can find you online and where our listeners can go to engage with you. Sure. I mean, the first place I'll send people is Twitter. So Dan underscore Shore, S-H-U-R-E, like the microphone company, no relation though. That's like where I'm most active online. And from there, I mean, you can easily get to my website and like find me everywhere else. But Dan underscore S-H-U-R-E on Twitter. I'm pretty responsive. My website is EvolvingSEO.com. That's my SEO company. But I'd love for people to check out the podcast. So EvolvingSEO.com slash wire will take you to a landing page that will give you iTunes links and Google Play. We're all in the, you know, everywhere in every podcast player. So you can just search experts on the wire. Uh, to find that podcast. And like you said, there's a, I love that we have a huge variety of guests. So like I had Jared whose name, whose last name I always don't want to pronounce because it like, it's dangerously close to like something inappropriate, but Jared (laughs) from Drumeo, uh, you know, I've had him on the show. I've had, um, a number of other people like Mike King, uh, who is a digital marketing expert now, but he was a, a hip hop MC for years. He, in fact, he was the guy that like wow. pioneered like um, freestyling blindfolded while people would hand him objects and he would incorporate the <laughs> objects into his rhyme. So, you know, I know a lot of That's like musicians and, and, and people in that world. So a lot of people like that are on the show. In fact, I just interviewed somebody yesterday. I had no idea. And at the end of the interview, I was like, oh, so you like to make music? What do you do? He's like, I'm a, I'm a, a hip hop MC and I make beats. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so cool. So. There's always a lot of people on the show that have some relation to music or the, the entertainment industry. So check out Experts in the Wire podcast. 
And I think that's it. I mean, I, you know, I'll give you links to – I've got some of my music on SoundCloud uh, slash Dan Shore and awesome. uh, uh, YouTube, Dan Shore Music on YouTube. Um, if people want to check out my music, I, I'm, I mostly like hip-hop and R&B and, and jazz and things like that. So I've got a lot of like covers of like Kanye West and Drake and, you know, all these people on YouTube. So, uh, yeah, I'd be I'd love if people check it out. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes. And thanks again, Dan. Hey, guys, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, make sure to like, subscribe and let us know what you think. You can find expanded interviews and articles at musicbusinesslounge.com or you can connect with us directly on Twitter at MBL Podcasts.